pumping us up and getting us ready. Well, we're, we've been moving through this uh, letter to the Philippians 9 today, rich, rich journey, and it's a joy to be able to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 today. Uh, if you brought your Bible with you, you can open to there. I'm going to be giving you quite a lot of scriptures today, so hopefully you got a notes page on the way in. Uh, if you did not, we may have some people who can help you get those. If you don't have a Bible as well, uh, Joe is helping us make sure you have one. It's our gift to you as Discovery Church. We know that the scriptures are what we need for everything concerning faith and life. Of course, you can also uh, download version or other Bible apps that are going to help you as well. But we just really want to stay in the Word of God uh, and allow that to grow in us. In fact, um, our teaching team, as we reflected on this letter to the Philippians, we know there's still more for us to mine. So we're going to just continue through the end of the month leading toward Easter, continuing to learn uh, all that God wants to teach us in this letter. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about um, our minds, our practices, and the God of peace. Uh, who wants the God of peace to be with you? Uh, show of hands. Wow, some hands didn't go up. Whoo! I need the God of peace to be with me. There's a lot that does not bring peace uh, to me uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I need the God of peace to be with me. And if I could tell you today that in the next 30 minutes or so, 40, because it's me, um, I'm going to be going through this passage and helping you understand very practically how you can experience day-to-day, week-to-week, more of the God of peace being with you. Would you like that? That's, that's really where we're going today. So just in the name of Jesus, God, clear out any distraction from our minds so that we can be fully present here in this moment. God, there's a lot that can draw us away, other interests, other concerns, about things ahead, about things that we've carried in with us from this last week. But God, you have something to gift us today. And we believe that you are going to do that. And we're here to say we're receivers. We want to be receivers of that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you know this. I've shared this, I think, in, in some other times that I've shared with you. I have the privilege of teaching at William Jessup University. And I teach in two departments, which is really kind of weird, interesting, and unique to bounce back and forth. But one is Bible and theology, but the other is the School of Psychology. And one of the, the classes that I've taught, and I actually wrote and revised a curriculum in a small group counseling theory class. And doing counseling theory is very, very interesting because you have to take the students from the origin of modern day psychology, which starts with Freud and psychoanalysis, up through the present day in terms of what's happening. And in that process, you go through a bunch of counseling theories that just sound flat out nuts, I'm telling you. I mean, are there any psychology majors here, social sciences majors? There's just some that are just flat out, you're like, really? You know, but as people were trying to figure out the human mind and the human psyche, they came up with different things um, like uh, gestalt theory and um, a counseling practice called psychodrama. How many want to go to psych do psychodrama with your counselor? I've actually participated in a lot of these just so that I can learn and understand how it's actually put into practice. And honestly... With the exception of psychoanalysis, Freudian theory, um, Adlerian, a couple of them that are like, woo, just so far off, it seems, from our biblical Christian worldview. They can be helpful. They really can. Even like psychodrama. Psychodrama means 
there's something that happened, a traumatic event, and you have people who replay those roles, and you find yourself reliving that, and it's healing. That's the idea behind it, anyway. Um, and I've seen it actually work in people's lives. So God is gracious. He works through a lot of different things. But since I teach at a university, which talks about a Christ-centered education, eventually we get to something called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And all my students just go, yay! How about psychology students back there? Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, woo! You know, Because you read it and you're like, wow, this just doesn't sound as nuts as some of those other ones. And, and as a Christian, it kind of aligns a bit with my worldview. So I'll get into it. There's a, a definition I'll put up here of cognitive behavioral therapy as we move forward in the slides. So you can see it as well. I'll read it to you because it's helpful. CBT is a type of psychotherapy in which patients reframe negative thinking patterns into positive thoughts, transforming one's thoughts will ultimately result in positive actions and behaviors in difficult moments. So people read that and go, that's good. It's kind of a think do paradigm, right? In recent studies, and, and it's brilliant right now, if this is an area of interest to you, if it's not an interest area for you, I don't want to lose you here at the beginning of the message. How many of you in this room have a brain? This is a test to think if, if you're, you're, you're going to raise Vlad's not even raising his hand. Thanks, Vlad. You too have a brain, Vlad. We have a brain, but we also have a mind, and the brain and the mind aren't the same, but the brain and the mind are related to each other, right? And the advances in neuroscience, any neuroscientists here? A few of you? Yeah? Cool. That's why I love, like, preaching in Davis. It's so exciting, all the science is going on. But the advances in neuroscience are really, really helping us to understand how the brain functions and how it, it interfaces with what and how we actually experience life. And recent studies said 75 to 90 percent, 95% of the illnesses that plague us today are a direct result of our thought life. What we think about affects us physically and emotionally. And the, the conclusion of the study too is that, that there's an epidemic of toxic thinking and to toxic emotions that actually wear us down overall. Everybody with me? Epidemic, that's, that's pretty serious. But we see it in our lives, even in the studies for some of you who are here who are millennials, in terms of the rise of depression, the rise of loneliness, the rise of despondency, um, is, is measurable, is noticeable. I wanna read to you a quote, and I have two slides to be able to move through it from somebody who is working in neuroscience. And um, it's a longer quote, but I thought it was worth reading. The average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day, though through an uncontrolled thought life, we create the conditions for illness, we make ourselves sick. Research shows that fear all on its own triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses in our brain and activates more than 30 different hormones. There are intellectual and medical reasons to forgive uh, toxic waste generated by toxic thoughts causes the following illnesses, diabetes, cancer, asthma, skin problems, allergies, just to name a few. Consciously control your thought life and start to detox your brain. On the next uh, slide, medical research incre increasingly points to the fact that thinking 
and consciously controlling your thought life is one of the best ways, if not the best way, of detoxing your brain. It allows you to get rid of these toxic thoughts and emotions that, are, that can consume and control your mind. Change, on, change in your thinking is essential to detox the brain. Consciously controlling your thoughts, thought life, means not letting thoughts rampage through your mind. It means learning to engage interactively with every single thought that you have and analyze it before you decide either to accept it or reject it, Dr. Carolyn Lee. So this is a, a little lengthy intro, right? And we're in social sciences. We're not yet in the Bible, right? But what I want to say is um, this discovery, this enthusiasm, this amazing thing in psychology over the last 100 years and over accelerating over the last 20 years, this think-do paradigm that it matters what you think because what you think actually affects what you do. It's a huge discovery that we've known from the Bible for 2,000 years, okay? They're like, we're on to something. Yeah, you're on to something. On to something that we're about to read about in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, something that Paul knew well. Massive theme. Massive theme in all of Scripture, Massive theme in Paul's writings, the whole idea of our thought life. So let's read these two simple verses, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to ask one more time, and I would love to see every hand go up. Who wants the God of peace to be with you this week? I'm raising my hand. Yeah. So let's, let's figure out what it means here to change how we think and to put into practice a lifestyle day by day, week by week, that leads us into a walk of shalom, a walk of the peace of God. So first, let's consider the mind. How are we thinking? How are you thinking? You know, the mind has already been a big theme in the book of Philippians. Last week, as Paul uh, shared with us at the beginning of chapter 4, it's like, you know, what's the solution to conflict? Well, the answer was, be of the same mind, and pull people into it who can help you think it through and get to a conclusion. What's the solution to anxiety, Discovery Church? Prayer, go back and read it, that will bring what? Peace of mind. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's go back to Philippians 2. Uh, where I had the privilege of preaching uh, a sermon on the first 10, chap 10 verses there. It says, be like-minded, be one in spirit and mind, have the same mind, have the mindset of Christ. So what's going on here? It's important what and how we think. How, what is forming in our mind in terms of how we see life and the world? Everybody's still with me. Now let's go to the words of Jesus because we love Jesus, we love what he says. He always has a good answer for us. Let's see what he says about our relationship with the mind and our relationship with God. 
he says we, that we are to love God with our minds. And I'm super happy because many of you go to UC Davis or many of you have graduated from notable universities around the United States, are in the practice of your professional life, and you've devoted yourself to say, I want to cultivate my mind, I want to cultivate my expertise and my professionalism, and I want to be excellent in what I do. I want to think clearly, and I want to be able to apply it directly. And Jesus says, in response, right, to the question of the expert in the law who tested him with the question, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, say it with me, mind, say it with me, mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, live it out day to day in your world with your neighbors, right, this love that you have with your heart, soul, and mind. So we have to ask ourselves, loving God with our mind, what does this mean? How do you love the Lord with your mind? How do you love the Lord with your mind? Well, let me, let me read verse 8 again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Hear this. Loving the Lord with your mind. Loving the Lord with your mind means dwelling on all that God has expressed of himself of his goodness. That's what all those words mean. We're not going to take time to unpack each of those little words that are in there. But it's saying that God has expressed his goodness in a full and complete way. And when we can lay hold of those things and our mind is there going to those things, then we will begin to think rightly and think better. Now, Christianity is a, a, a faith of verbs. It's a faith of action. It's not a faith of creed alone. We do believe certain things, but we believe that, that those things are put into action. Amen? So, this word think... Uh, unpacking this particular word means a, a deciding, a counting. It's, it's an idea of a bottom line or a logical conclusion, right? So you're, 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 when you're thinking here, it's saying, I'm going to take each of these kinds of facets of the beauty and the goodness of God, and I'm going to shine and buff each of those, and I'm going to, to come to the logical conclusion of, that thing is pure. That thing is lovely. That thing is admirable. That thing is something I can shout from the rooftop. And that's where I want my mind to go. The other important thing about this verb, think, is it's in the present imperative. In other words, not optional. It has to happen. And it has to happen now. It has to happen right now in this auditorium. And it has to happen later today and as you go to sleep, as you drift off to sleep where your mind is, as you wake up the first thoughts that come into your mind in the morning. It's a present imperative. It means ongoing action. Day to day, moment to moment, what is good and admirable, right and lovely and pure and good and praiseworthy and noble and honorable and excellent, my mind just drifts there. So where is your mind drifting? Where is it drifting right now? 
how hard is it to control our thought life? Right? We've all had our struggles with that. I was saying to somebody before the message, sometimes it's really hard to preach because God goes, oh, that message? Boom! <laughs> I'm going to bring it home to you. It's been a tough week for me on my thinking aspect. I was on three or three planes last week and uh, on, a, on Sunday and, and moving really, really fast in my work and what was going on in my home and in my marriage and with my parenting. I just, wow. It was, it was a challenge. But really, it, it's, the, it's the challenge really of what Jesus taught about loving God with our minds because loving God with our minds means that our mind drifts toward God. Somebody once taught me that idolatry, idolatry is what dominates the horizon of your mind. So it could be a horrible traumatic memory. It could be an addiction and when you're going to get your next fix. But it could also be something that you're obsessing about concerning work. Or it could be about um, a relationship or a person. It could be something that's wholesome, yet grabbing the full attention of your mind. How do we love the Lord with our mind? Well, I want to give you some thoughts about how to, how to think on things. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Let's see if I'm, I'm track. Oh, there's the thing on verbs. Next slide. Sorry if you're taking notes. Oh, I asked that good question too. Next slide. That's where I want to be. How to think on these things, right? So I want to, I want to talk about a very practical uh, process that I've put into practice. I've taught many people to put into practice. I'm going to teach you this morning. Some of you may have received this kind of teaching before. If you have, count yourself blessed and discipled about your mind. Because this is huge. This is revolutionary for you, follower of Jesus. If you're here curious about Christianity today, you're new to discovery, new to the Christian faith, this is how practical the Christian faith can be in terms of how we go about these things. So there's going to be three things that I want to share with you. First is kicking out the opposite. That's how you start in your mind. And I also put up there kicking out the opposition. So the opposite and the opposition are kind of linked together. Why? Number one, oh, and two, back to my youth group days, this is how I taught it. Say no to stinking thinking. That's fun to say out loud, so say it with me. Say no to stinking thinking. Kind of, that, probably that'll be the one thing that stays with you from this message. Say no to stinking thinking. Let's go back to the last slide, because there's too much to share from here still. So number one is in our Christian worldview, we have an enemy. The enemy is called the father of lies. We're not going to look up each of these scriptures in the interest of time, but you can write them down. Jesus clearly calls him the father of lies in John 8, 44. This is Satan. Satan speaks a language of lies. He sows lies into your life, even early in life, that he wants you to hold in, and he's going to hold you in a prison of lies. Wrong ways of thinking. Does that make sense? Even after you become a follower of Jesus, sometimes they, they have stayed with you. A wrong way of thinking. So that's an example in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, where Peter says, wait a minute, Jesus, that whole 
suffering cross thing, I don't think that's really a good plan, right? And Jesus has to say to him, uh, just a, quite a shocking thing, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You, you have a different way of thinking. You're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're not thinking the way of God. When I think of, of, of the devil, I do actually laugh a little bit because I think of Elf. I know it's not Christmas. But when he's over the Santa in the department store and he says, you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> you all remember it. Satan really does. He sits on a throne of lies. And he goes, I know how I can keep people from God. And I know how I can keep people who have met God impotent in their life. I'm going to let them hold on to a lie. Something that's not true. Something that's not lovely, pure, good, noble, admirable, praiseworthy of God. Right? So number one. In this process, as you're saying, I'm going to kick out the opposition, is to recognize there is an opposition, there is an opposite. The very next thing is to recognize lies and renounce them. I have a scripture up there, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. I'm not going to be able to, to get to that, but it's put off, put on, but it's talking about putting on a new mindset in Christ. I want to read to you a few uh, in, in my counseling classes that I teach. So here are some lies to recognize. Uh, the times you say could have, would have, should have statements that you've made to yourself. How many if onlys were part of your inner vocabulary? How many scenarios have you created of an unpredictable future? How much is speculation taking out of your day? Do you ever make comments like nothing ever get, goes right for me? Everything I touch fails. I always mess up. How many times have you replied in your head a conversation or a situation, or replayed in your head a conversation or a situation that uh, pained you, or one that hasn't even occurred yet, right? So there, there's, there's plenty of ways in which our thinking inhibits our freedom that we have with Christ. So when you recognize a lie, when you go, wait a minute, that doesn't smell right. That doesn't feel right. That's, that seems off, right? When you recognize that and you, you do a very simple thing, this is the revolutionary for it. You say, I renounce that lie. You say it out loud. So say it out loud with me. I renounce that lie. You have no purpose, you have no destiny, you're wayward, you're a prodigal, all that negativity. I renounce that lie. You renounce it. You say, I say no to that. I put that out of my, my thinking. And then the last thing you do is you pronounce the mind of Christ over your life. You pronounce the mind of Christ over your life. Have this mindset in you. That was in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, right? 
Who's known the mind of Christ? Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who knows the thoughts of the Lord, the ways of the Lord? You have the mind of Christ. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. And I only put a tiny number of, of these verses up here. If you want to push into this, there are hundreds of verses on this principle, right? Recognize an opposite and an opposition. Recognize that lies are going to come at you or lies are already in you that you want to say, I renounce that, I renounce that lie and I pronounce the mind of Christ over my life, right? We're going to practice because this is the revolutionary part if you put it into practice this week. I renounce that lie. I pronounce the mind of Christ. And we're going to talk about how you get that mind of Christ here in a minute, right? Because you do a little bit of work about, because you, you're, you're getting rid of lies, but what has to replace it, people? What replaces lies? Truth. <laughs> Truth. The noble, the lovely, the pure, the good, the right, the honorable. Right? Folks, um, God is a miracle-working God. I have seen the miracles of God where he changes things in a moment, in an instant. But God is a God who loves Holy Spirit human cooperation over time. God says, My, I, I do have a plan for your life. And, and I don't know what your profession is. I don't know if you're going to be single the rest of your life. You're going to be married. You're going to have a household of kids. I'm not talking about that. God's goal for your life is to grow up. God's life, goal for your life is to be mature. God's goal for your life is to be mentally healthy and whole. Not to be toxic and debilitated and, and struggling. He wants your mind to be liberated to love him fully. And to get our minds on the track with the Lord. Everybody with me on that? You got a little uh, card on the way in. If you didn't, you get it on the way out. Who has one of those cards? I actually grabbed one, then I... Oh, I found it. It's just like a, a little bonus bookmark. It's kind of fat. Fat, fat bookmark. And it has... I messed up, actually, when I send in the notes, so forgive me. It has seven of the eight things. So you got to... It's like a little puzzle now. You got to go back to the scripture... In Philippians 4, I say, which one did Pastor Jeff forget to put in? And like, you got to write that one in, okay? But this is actually a little card. It is a little homework from church, right? That's basically saying, what is lovely? What is excellent? What is noble or honorable? And to be able to actually write a few of those things down, because if we can't identify what those things are, it's going to be very difficult for us to do that. Oh, I think we can go to the next slide because I already talked about it, but I'll review it with you all. So kicking out the opposition means clearing the clutter, which means making the room, room for the magnificent. Actually, I haven't talked about it yet. That is my next point. Let's stay there. Um, right, so, so first of all, we're putting out lies, but I also want to make one mention, too, of, of clearing out the clutter. As I was praying about this, too, God brought to mind the, the TV show, which I've only seen twice because it's too hard to watch for me, called Hoarders. Some of you have seen it. And you're like, wow, that house is really, really full of stuff. You know, people who get stuff but never get rid of stuff. 
right? We get stuff, but we never get rid of stuff. And it's almost like, because of the age we live in, it's like we're info hoarders, right? So much goes into our mind. And there's always opportunity for more, amen? There's always opportunity for another podcast or to listen um, to the sports talk radio personality or to binge watch the next show, right? Actually, there's no time for that because a lot of you are students. But spring break's coming. <laughs> you, might, you might do that, right? But, but so much comes in, and you have to make room for this magnificent mindset that God wants to give you, that you want to put in. So, so there's just straight-up lies and stinking thinking where you're like, that's not right. That's not God. That's not the Spirit of God putting that in me. But it's also making room, like, making room to be able to think clearly, to create a little space in your life, a little boredom in your life, or a little, little, um, little room for you to be able to, to proactively work on this thinking. Now, many of your, your hours are so cramped uh, because of your professional responsibilities at work, uh, home responsibilities because of your class schedule and the intensity of it. But Romans 12.2 says, don't be squeezed into the world's mold. Don't be... Tr- you know, conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, by the renewing of your, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, it's amazing in the era of, of Paul and of the Roman Empire that he could recognize there's tons of external pressure that's trying to squeeze you into a way of thinking, squeeze you into an ideology, squeeze you into... Uh, uh, offer you a pair of lenses to put on. But he's basically, he's saying, look, actually, liberty and freedom that we have because we know Christ means a transforming by the renewing of your mind. Is everybody still with me? This is what you get to do when you get to preach on one verse. Actually, I have two. So I got to get to that other one in a minute. But, but it's so, so important in terms of what and how we apply this. Go to the next slide. So as we clear that clutter out, uh, we want to say yes to eternal intelligence. <clears throat> Expertise is gained, and many of you have heard this, through uh, 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours of practice means practice three hours a day, six days a week for 10 years. 10,000 hours is three hours a day, six days a week, 365 days a year for for 10 years, right? So there's a training of people's minds. There's a training of people's skills. The best of the best in the lab, the best of the best at Mondavi Center, the best of the best in whatever they do have applied themselves in this distinct and focused way. And I think what this scripture is challenging us to do, what Paul's challenging that church long, long ago with people who are long gone, but speaks to us today, is to say we have to have that kind of intentionality and fortitude to say, I'm going to go after this kind of thinking in my day-to-day life. So I really do want to challenge you to make your list because if you can't name what's true, beautiful, et cetera, then it's, you can't really think on it. 
and I want to share with you a, a couple of things from these scriptures that I put up there. And I would encourage you, if you are taking notes, to write down back one step, back one step, right there, is John 1.18 and those scriptures. Keep, write those down because I'm about to share with you, right, how do we create that mindset? Number one, John 1.18 talks about Christ fully expressing the mind of God. Christ being the full expression of God on earth. So when we, when we see Christ, we see God. Whatever is true, lovely, pure, right, good, admirable, right? Just fall in love with Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus. I'm reading the Gospel of Luke moving toward, toward Easter. I'm doing it because I want, to, I want to know Jesus again so that I can know him in the sense of intimacy and closeness with him. You, you have the mind of Christ. Well, who is Christ? Get uh, unbelievably familiar with who he is. The second thing that's up there is Colossians 3, 1 to 2, and you can actually keep reading on the following where Paul says, set your mind on things above, not the things of the earth, because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So even as you put your mind on Jesus, you also... One way of actually having the mind of Christ is to understand your status and your position. Women, daughters of God adopted into the family, God is your father. Jesus is your savior and your leader in life. Men, sons, in the household of God, adopted, secure. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. How secure are you? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you'll be revealed with him in glory. If we really think on that, we think on our position and our status and our security with God because of Christ, transformative. Third, Luke 24, 35. I love this verse. Probably mentioned it already here because it is in my top five says about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The scriptures, the whole counsel of the word of God, your reading or your study of the scriptures that says it has everything for you concerning faith and life, your application to it. You know, we remember that Billy Graham uh, passed away. And his funeral was on Friday. And I was reminded by one of our teaching team members that they showed a picture of him at age 99. He died at 99, but in his 99th year, sitting on his porch with his Bible open on his lap. Now, we just go like, what else could Billy Graham know? You know, Billy Graham's the one who taught me about the Psalms and Proverbs. You know why? He made a commitment as a young man. He said, ah, oh, there's 31 Proverbs, and there's 150 Psalms, 150 divided by 30 is five. So if I read five Psalms a day every day for a month, and I read one chapter of Proverbs every day, then I'll have read all of Psalms and Proverbs every month. Folks, until his, he got more aged and harder to read or focus, that was his practice for decades reading the whole book of Psalms and the whole book of Proverbs every month. I'm not challenging you to do that. All I'm saying is 
you hear of all the admiration, and you're like, the, the example he was of faith. We'll talk about this next, about examples of faith. How did that happen? He probably had 40,000 hours, not 10,000. 40,000 hours. Super expert, right? Jesus, your status, scriptures, this is going to help you have the mindset of Christ. The next scripture up there from uh, Romans is basically talking about how creation reveals the glory of God. So the beauty, how do we see the glory of God in creation? How do we see his uh, nature and his power, right? Taking the time to be able to look at the sunset or the rainstorm or the hail or the, the walk out into the, the baking oven of 105 degree heat in the summer, right? And say, God, you're God. To look at the flower or the insect or the tininess or to get out in the desert and look at the expanse of the Milky Way. Just to, to wonder at the expanse and the goodness of God. The last one, 1 Corinthians 15.3, talks about that Paul received something from people. He passed it on to Corinthians. He, he, these is the idea of embodied examples. And in my last few minutes, I want to move on to the, our thought about the mind and then our life. Right? So let me go to the next slide. So, so when you, when, remember at the beginning, I was talking about the psychology aspect of it. Thinking leads to action. How we think leads to action. What we tell ourselves leads to action. Everybody with me on that? So, what are these actions? It's very interesting. Paul, Paul follows up this idea of this list and saying, think on these things, logic on these things, reason on these things, come to conclusions on these things, let it be a mindset, let it be, a, let it be just a, a clear way of thinking, but that's going to lead to a lifestyle. And he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul understood that we have Jesus, we have scriptures, we have, we have our status, our position, and our security with God that is beyond the earthly thing that we experience. We have the creation around us, but we really do need embodied examples. And he wasn't timid about saying, look at my life. What have you learned from me? What they learned from me is Jesus is Lord, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What did they had they received from him? They received the gospel of salvation. He and Silas and Luke and the crew coming to town meeting with Lydia outside the gate, forming a small church, being persecuted, put in prison, seeing the jailer's family come to know him. What did, what did they receive? They received the gospel of salvation. They heard his teaching, his use of language, how he spoke about God and about others, and what they saw in him, the faith to stay, the faith to endure persecution, the faith um, in jail to worship God even when they were in pain in terms of his relationship with Silas. In chapter 3, verse 17, it said that Paul's a real person and a real example. Paul also gives examples that says, look, you know, uh, back a couple of messages ago, reread Philippians again this week. If you want to look at someone who's, who's maturing and growing up in their faith and thinking right, look at Timothy. 
And oh yeah, Epaphroditus, who's one of you who you sent to me, who almost died, but didn't because God is so good, and I was coming back to you. There's an example, right? So who are these embodied examples that we can identify or point out in our life? I mentioned Billy Graham, and um, super interesting. My wife Heather went out with her mom to lunch yesterday, and um, her mom has had this really uh, crazy journey of spiritual life in her life, and sometimes we don't know where she's at or what she's holding on to or not holding on to, but she began to talk about Billy Graham. She began to weep. She began to weep, and Heather asked her, why are you crying? And she said, because we don't have very many examples. And, I, and I'm really, I'm sorry for that in some ways, um, it seems like now. We feel like our embodied examples are fewer. Um, the things that get sensationalized are the people who... Um, through their, through their poor thinking or through their holding on to uh, secret thinking or whatever, uh, they end up blowing out or bowing out or tiring out in terms of their faith and ministry. But I want to I challenge you that there are those people, but you probably have in your life a lot closer to you. Navigators that are in the room. Look at your leaders Talk to them about their marriages, their family life, what they believe, how they're working those things out. Completely imperfect people, but completely devoted to Jesus and seeking to live out their faith, right? Here at the church, our staff, sincere, incredible followers of Jesus who love the Lord and are working out their faith in fear and trembling, right? As God's working it into them, they're working it out day to day. So having those embodied examples is enormously important in terms of what you're going to end up practicing and to embrace the fact that you are, that is who you are to be. Through your own process of, of changing how you think and then changing how that applies itself day-to-day -day life, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? Not only how am I supposed to think about that, but what am I supposed to then do with that in my relationship with my roommate, in um, my workplace with my team, in whatever context you find yourself, in my, my, in my sports group that I, I'm doing things with, or my gaming group. How does that play itself out? And to welcome Holy Spirit to come and say, renew my mind, transform my mind, give me the mind of Christ, I renounce lies, I pronounce the mind of Christ, I cooperate with you, God, and then let that find its expression. Next slide. <clears throat> so I would love it if you could be able to say, oh, verbs are our friends, regular practice, routine, or habit. It's basically a way of life. How are you moving in your way of life? Next slide. So the question is, name that example of embodied faith in your life, because that person's going to be able to show you and dialogue with you about this. And then the conclusion, what God brings us to, is this great truth. The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Lord, as we think, as we adjust our minds, as we embrace the true, lovely, right, pure, good, excellent, and praiseworthy things, as we 
as we recognize it and get rid of the, the, the stinking thinking and the clutter in our life and, and let your mind be our mind, we pray, God, the courage to put it into practice, the courage to put into practice the, the teachings received here at Discovery Church, at Discovery Groups, in the context of retreats or campus ministries, so that we might really, really, really be your people. And when you are with us, God of peace, when you're with us, what a transformative reality, God, that we are able to experience and to carry toward people. We will really, really look different. We'll stand out in this world that's confused and crippled in their thinking or in their actions. Let us be those people, Lord, for every man and woman here. In Jesus' name, amen.